Welcome to New Thinking for a New World, a Tilburg Foundation podcast. I am Alan Stoga, your host. Each week, I bring you conversations with people who think differently about the great issues that are shaping our world. Geopolitics, disruptive tech, mass migration, the changing climate, culture wars, all of it is grist for our mill. I hope you enjoy listening. I also hope you will let me know what you think and that you join the conversation at telbergfoundation.org. And now for today's episode of New Thinking for a New World. In 2015, world leaders adopted 17 sustainable development goals and committed their countries to achieving dramatic, measurable improvements in human welfare by 2030. One of those goals is, quote, to promote the rule of law at the national and international levels and ensure equal access to justice for all. At first blush, that doesn't sound all that controversial or like something that should be particularly difficult in the context of the 21st century. Unfortunately, the opposite seems to be true. Both the rule of law and equal access to justice seem to be receding in too many countries, including the great Western democracies. Why is that? What can be done? Is it simply about trust in judges and courts and due process? Although there is nothing simple about regaining trust once lost? Or are the problems more systemic than that? Alison Maynard Gibson is a Bahamian barrister, politician, community rights advocate, and former attorney general and minister for legal affairs of her country. She spends a lot of time these days thinking about those questions and searching for answers. Welcome, Alison, to New Thinking for a New World. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Alan. Let's start at 60,000 feet. Every survey I see says the rule of law is declining in many countries, indeed, almost most Western countries. And if anything, justice is becoming less available. Do you agree? That's what the surveys are saying. And I think it's really hard to argue with data. I agree. Then the obvious question is, at least for starters, why? That's a great question, Alan. I don't think that the answer is simple, and I may not actually have the answer at all, but I do have a view. I think the trust is an issue, um, and there is data that was produced by the Task Force on Justice that gives evidence why there are trust issues. For example, there are 4.5 billion people that feel they are excluded from the social economic and political opportunities that the law provides. There are 1.5 billion people that feel that they have a criminal, civil, or administrative justice problem that they can't solve. Then there are also systemic issues, which we'll come to as well. So I think that when you add this all up, you can see that um, we're we're not dealing with a small problem. And the rule of law, although it seems so esoteric, it actually is very fundamental to our existence. Let's start with trust. Uh, I saw a survey from the OECD which said that something like 40 to 45 percent of people throughout the OECD world, which is both the industrial world plus Mexico and Chile and Korea, et cetera, 43 percent 
don't trust their judiciary systems. So before we get to structural problems, or is the structural problem why they don't trust, or is it the performance they don't trust, or is it the people that make up the judicial systems they don't trust? Do you have a sense? What are, what are they distrusting? I think it's probably a combination of all of the above, and it really depends on where you are in the world, because it depends on the prism through which you're looking, so therefore context. But I do think that systems, you said you're coming to that, do make a difference. Um, and if we're not able to give people access and combined with, we're not holding the players in the system accountable for whatever reason, including lack of data and other means of other metrics that, that are lead to accountability, then that's a problem. So, and then combine that with, and by the way, 10 years later, I can't get my land issue resolved or I can't get my criminal matter resolved or my housing matter or the domestic violence. So people are feeling injustice and they're looking around and they're seeing um, issues that just aren't right. So cynicism upon cynicism upon cynicism and actually some in many countries, unfortunately, evidence of corruption too. And to the point, these aren't just countries in the third or fourth world. These are countries across the spectrum from the United States to Europe, through Africa, the Latin America, et cetera. It's, everybody seems to share these problems. Is that fair or am I exaggerating? Uh, no, I don't. I, I think that you are not exaggerating. I think everybody's sharing the problem to a different extent, and it presents sometimes differently depending on the context or the prism through which you're looking, but it's fundamentally the problem. So there is a justice gap. Yeah, a real one. And that gap, as you think about it, is both between what people need and what they get, but also between what naively we think the system is and what it actually is? Are, are there two justice gaps? I think that, again, it's how you look at it. Um, and it's one, There's one gap, justice gap. And I think that if we focus on people, this is why I like the term people-centered justice. I, and you will hear it used more and more today. So if we're, being fo if we're focusing on outcomes, then it really doesn't matter what road leads to outcome. So is the road, should we be building more bricks and mortar? Should we hold the players in the system accountable? Should we be, um, should we be providing a means by which people can invest in the sector? If the purpose at the end of the day or all roads lead to people-centered justice, outcomes for people, that's the, that's the gap. We got to fix that. So let's talk about people-centered justice and outcomes for people. I have a sense that many people in most places don't think they get out of their justice systems what they need. Is, is that your perception? Oh, yeah. I think it's a little bit more, more than a perception. I think it's a reality, uh, Alan. Can I just give you an example of, of um, what I'm talking about? If we look at communications, centuries ago, there's a horse and a we moved to the phone, and now we have a smartphone. It's a very fundamentally different 
um, instrument than a phone or a horse taking mail to communicate, right? Um, providing uh, ease for people to communicate with each other. That's what the smartphone does. That's what the, the, the mailman on his horse did. But people, there was constantly changing because there was the demand there and the, some people call it the market and, and accountability in the systems, right? Medicine. Uh, look how it has changed, the, provi- the providing of a service, the public health system. No longer do we only have the idea that you must go to your physician and you see a physician and you have to go to. Medicine actually comes to you. There's a clinic and there are, there are clinics where whether you're living in a big city or whether you're living in a very remote place in America or anywhere else in the world, there are physicians' assistants, there are nurse practitioners. Um, you would have seen during COVID the use of drones to actually uh, take uh, medication and triaging and so forth to remote areas. The services provided um, people to the people in their own communities. In the law, we say, oh, the, we are expect that you, these are your fundamental rights. This is the law. The law is the legislation and the law is cases. And once you, once we tell you what it is, you can come to a lawyer or you can go to court and get justice. That hasn't changed for centuries. To me, that's the problem. We have to find ways to actually, if we're focusing on people, look at what, um, uh, when we talk about, like I say, the smartphone or look at computing, you know, uh, an app is very different from coding and so forth. So make it easy, make it easy for people to know what their rights are. Make it easy for people to know how can they enforce their rights. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a lawyer to do it for you. It could be a paralegal or it can be someone, a trusted elder in the community, right? So you know, these are your rights and this is how you get your manuscripts off. And also in the same way that the public health arena has also focused heavily on advising people about what it means to be healthy and how to be the good health, so prevent illness, how do we prevent what we should be investing also in preventing problems, preventing our disputes? Um, and I think that what we have not done in the justice system, and I do think what we're doing now, the people aren't sufficiently feeling it, is actually that's what this conversation is about, and that's what the struggle for people-centered justice is about. How do we fundamentally change how we deliver the justice product? Justice traditionally has been defined, as you've just said, as being all about courts and judges and lawyers. There are parallel systems in in family law, for example, with um, arbitration, with negotiation, with, with no lawyers present, no judges present, except at the very end of the day to check the box of what was agreed to. Is that what you're talking about to some extent? To, to some extent, but I'm thinking of things that are even more, um, let me use the word, uh, fundamental rather than, rather than drastic. I'll use the word fundamental. So, so if um, there may be um, almost like smart contracts um, or even you can go online and 
put in an, an algorithm, program an algorithm. Once you check these boxes, the outcome is this. There are all kinds of, of things today, methodologies, technology that can be used to help people resolve matters. Um, and we don't need, I mean, the, I hate to call, say the lawyers have a cartel, but we, 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 uh, we force people uh, into that framework. Yes, we've opened up mediation. Yes, we've opened up good arbitration, but we can go so much further. And going further does not take away the need for lawyers or it doesn't take away the need for judges. When I look at a travel agent, for example, just because I'm using Expedia doesn't mean that if I'm going on some specialist kind of trip that I'm not going to call my travel agent. Or just because I'm buying insurance online doesn't mean that if I'm using some specialized insurance that I won't speak to an insurance agent. We need to just throw it open let the market um, supply people's needs without taking away. It will, it will not take away the need for lawyers. It will not take away the need for judges. In fact, what it will do is actually enhance confidence in the justice system because people will recognize that they are able to get matters quickly resolved. Thanks for listening so far. I hope you're enjoying the conversation as much as I have. If you haven't already, please subscribe on the platform of your choice and rate us on Apple Podcast. Now back to today's discussion, sponsored by the Stavros Niarchus Foundation, SNF. People-centered justice. Are there places in the world that are moving faster than others in down the path that you've just described? I'd like to highlight, for example, what's happening in the United Kingdom, Right. You have, you'll have heard of Richard Susskind, the Lord, the former Lord Chancellor, spent a lot of time working with people like him, um, uh, uh, specific committees and so forth to, to make suggestions. Things like uh, persons who wanted to have, or people who wanted to have their matters resolved, they could just simply make paper submissions. Um, people can use the telephone rather than going to court. You can just get on the telephone and speak to um, to judges or speak to dispute resolution people uh, and that kind of thing. So the ability to explore all kinds of options once people agree. Uh, in America, Judge Judy, I mean, it's a TV show, but those kinds of matter, ways to resolve disputes, people get their matters resolved. I mean, it's been made entertainment, but it's the kind of thing, if you look at old societies or remote communities, People go to an elder, the elder sits people down, and they resolve the matter. So let's not throw out those kinds of models because they actually work and they work in people's communities. And people deserve to have their matters resolved so they can get on with their lives. That's how you promote peace. How do you invest in those? How do you create those not parallel systems what you seem to be describing is an extension of, of the system to make the system broader and deeper that actually allows more people with issues to resolve them. But can that, does it, is that a formal process? It varies by country, I'm sure. Or, or is it, are you asking for systems to accept those informal processes as legitimate? I think that the informal processes do need to be accepted as legitimate. Um, 
And I, I think that we, we just have to recognize that if we start with data, let, let's step back. If we start with data, why should we change? Would be the question. It's all, most lawyers think, oh, it's working perfectly. Why should we change? Let, let's and judges do too. If we actually continue to gather the data that shows that actually it isn't working, that investing in bricks and mortar, not only is it not necessary, but it doesn't address the fundamental issues. And I, I pointed to the, um, I pointed to the task force on justice. Um, and they have, the, there's the research there and the, the, the idea of continuing to develop the data that shows what needs to be done and what ought to be done um, and what works. Best practices should be shared. Then, and then open up where you know, when you see that the, the best practices of the work, open that up to the private sector so that there can be investment because we have to have these things funded in the, in the things that work to help move, um, focus on people's better outcomes. I saw some World Justice Project data which stunned me. Supposedly, according to their numbers, less than a third of people who experience a legal problem actually sought advice to resolve that legal problem, uh, which is to say that that implies the justice system is like an iceberg, that most of what needs to get addressed is not being addressed for all sorts of reasons, including people who don't recognize that it's a legal issue, et cetera, et cetera. It, it is a scary number. And it goes back to the, one, the point I was making about 1.5 billion people feeling that their issues are resolved. And let me look at what are the easy ones that can be resolved and the, and the, easy, the, and the ones that people feel really most concerned about. They have violence and crime, problems with money or debt or consumer problems, disputes over housing or land or conflict with neighbors, difficulties relating to access to public services, family disputes around divorce and inheritance, and employee-employer type relations. Again, there are certain things that are just like almost like a common cold. A common cold is different from pneumonia. And so let's let's boil some of these common problems that exist all over down all over the world down to the common cold um, metaphor and recognize that there are certain solutions, there are certain remedies for the common cold. So and, and, and keep data that shows that when we use these best practices to address the legal equivalent of the common cold, which could be a dispute over housing or land, or how do I address family and inheritance matters? Share these best practices and allow investment in the best practices um, so that we can get, we can see our better outcomes. But if I could use again, a, a technology comparison, there's a big difference between what was a, a computer 30 years ago and a smartphone today. And that's constant evaluating what do people want? How can we better serve people? Focus on people, focus on outcomes, that data, and encouraging the market, the supply side, the investment side to get involved makes a big difference. Encourage innovation. You spoke a few moments ago about lawyers who, of course, have a vested interest in every country and every system 
to remain at the center of, of, of the process. At the same time, I have the impression that quite a few lawyers recognize that they could benefit by a more efficient system, a more inclusive system. It's the, the equal access actually is in their interest, even at least as much as in the people's interest. Do you think most lawyers get it? I don't. I think if the, I don't think most lawyers get it, but I think that we're not, first of all, we're not training lawyers that way, unfortunately. We're training lawyers to keep the same system that has worked, has not worked. It may have worked 400 plus years ago, but it's not working today. But we're still training lawyers and we're still performing and delivering services in a way that is outdated. And so I think that even the, the way that we train our lawyers or train, uh, inform our people, we have to really recognize that this is not the era of the, the mailman on the horse running from one place to the other. This is an era of, oh, by the way, I'm in social media on my smartphone. And so how do we open up, throw open the doors in the provision, the justice product for there to be uh, access and and therefore more confidence in the rule of law. Because people feel that actually, I know what my rights are. I know how I can get my disputes resolved. The irony in the example is that at least in the United States, justice used to be mobile. It in fact was the justice that got on his horse and went from community to community uh, holding mobile courts. And then they became sedentary and stationary over the years. And now you're, what you're asking is back to the future, but use technology this time. And let's have some metrics that we can all agree so that we can hold all stakeholders in the system accountable. Let me end with the word we, uh, because this is obviously a global problem in the sense that it is a ubiquitously global issue country after country after country, all of the data says this is a problem. But at the same time, it's not a global problem in the sense that there's not a global solution, quite different from climate, for example. Or maybe, maybe problem is similarly global and the solutions are much more local. How, and I know you are working with others to try to get people everywhere to recognize best practices, both recognize the problem, create data systems, and share and def define and share best practices. Uh, where in the SDG was an effort, is an effort to say, no, this is, a, this is global. We've got to do something globally. But, but where does the momentum come from? Well, that's, <laughs> that's a good question. That's the one we've been trying to I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for the question because I'm not sure it's answerable. That's the one we've been trying to figure out. I, I, I think that certainly we have to continue with ministers of justice. We have to continue with the United Nations and the desire of countries to achieve the sustainable goals, sustainable development goals. I think we have to rely on community elders or where they exist to speak about if we're going to have peaceful and just societies and sustainable development but the inequities that exist in the system just cannot have us. You can't have a sustainable society. So I think that we have to have many voices at the table. Um, and I, I just go back to, to data. 
the data, the thing about data is that it just presents it in a very tactile way, tangible way. So it's no longer this thing out there, justice, what does it mean? If you can actually show examples of how people were unable to know what their rights were in relation to how to resolve a violence dispute or land matter, and that when these practices were used, what a difference it made and how it's applicable in any country around the world. We just have to continue to, to, uh, to pursue. I do think, and I do think that although we're not getting, as you started, Alan, we're not getting, we're not seeing the kinds of results that we want. I know that when we had the task force um, a few, not five years ago or so, access to justice or people-centered justice were not words that were commonly used. They are commonly used now and people get it. So we are moving in the right direction. And I'm hoping that as more and more people encourage innovation, encourage funding, as I say, we'll just have a quantum leap. But that's my, we continue to be hopeful. If we lose hope, then I think we must well so just wrap it up and forget it. But we do have to continue to be hopeful. It's just like, I mean, um, I certainly am old enough, I don't know whether you are, Alan, to think about what it was like in the public health system four decades ago, access to health is very different now than it was then. And they had to really be persistent and work hard at it and, and so forth. And I'm, I believe that we have valuable lessons to learn there. We just have to stay focused and stay hopeful and recognize that if we're going to have a sustainable world, we just sustainable development in our world, we're not going to be able to ignore justice issues. Whichever sustainable development you go, you look at climate change, whatever, any of them without equal access to justice, it just, they don't work. They don't. Hope is always a good place to end this kind of conversation. Uh, but I, what I particularly like about your hope is that you firmly believe that if we document better, if we collect the data, we can make that hope more likely to be realized. Uh, and, and, that, and that in itself is is a hopeful place to, to end on. So thank you very much, Allison. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the conversation. And thanks for all that you're doing to keep our eyes open to and our ears open to important and pressing social issues, Alan. It's really important. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Thinking for New World. I'm Alan Stoga, podcast host, and I look forward to your joining our next conversation. Remember, tell us what you think at telbergfoundation.org.